Chapter 18 of The Sea Witch. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elliot Miller. The Sea Witch by Maturin Murray Ballou. Chapter 18 The Denouement. The events of the past few weeks seemed to Charles Bramble more like dream than reality. He could hardly compose his mind sufficiently to realize the serious bearings of his present situation. Of course, it was now useless longer to disguise his relationship to Robert, who had lost his life by means of the poisoned barb which Maud had intended for his brother. Charles took possession of his body, and informed all those necessary duties that his own feelings suggested, and form required. The second officer of the ship assumed the command vacated by Captain Robert's death, and, as the time had now arrived for the return of the vessel to England, he sailed at once for Liverpool. Though Charles was loath to be separated from Helen, yet he urged upon herself and mother to join the English man-of-war, in which they could secure the most comfortable and safest passage to Liverpool, while for himself there was still left business matters which it was imperative for him to consummate before he left the region where he was. It was at last decided that the mother and daughter should improve this mode of conveyance home, and Helen reluctantly bade him so that she tenderly loved a tearful farewell, and in secret they pledged to each other their hearts for life. Charles Bramble watched the receding ship which contained her so dear to him, until it was a mere speck upon the waters, and then felt that it was possibly the last token he might ever see of her. The path before him was not one strewn with roses. He had serious dangers to encounter, a long voyage to make, and an unhealthy climate to endure. For he must cross the ocean, he found, in order to settle honorably with those men who had placed such unlimited faith in his integrity. But he had no ship or craft of any sort at his command, and must wait for opportunity to reach the West Indies, doubtless on board some vessel in the trade which he had just abandoned. Don Leonardo seemed to little heed the death of his daughter. In fact, he did not trouble himself to inquire into its particulars, further than to understand the immediate cause. He was a sensual and intemperate man, half of whose life passed under the effects of unnatural stimulus, and provided his appetite was not interfered with, cared little what befell others. Since the English man-of-war had sailed, his barracoons began to fill once more with negroes from the interior and he was now prepared to ship a cargo by the first adventurer's vessel which should arrive. The funds which Charles Bramble had brought out from Cuba to Africa were co-signed to Don Leonardo, and he of course would do with the money as he pleased. He therefore proposed to charter the first vessel that came, a ship, a cargo the same as he would have done in the sea witch. It was not long before one of those flat, low, dark clipper schooners hove in sight and ran into the bay. She was small, sat deep in the water, was scarcely three hundred tons burthen, but managed to stow three hundred and forty negroes with ease, and would have taken more had not intelligence from the lookouts been brought in, that a square rig was coming down the coast. Charles Bramble hesitated whether he should embark in this craft. It was consigned to his former owners, the very men he wished to meet. He might have to wait for months in order to obtain another chance. 
It was hardly a matter of choice with him, but became one of necessity, and he embarked in accordingly. Charles Bramble was no sooner fairly at sea than he was filled with amazement at the condition of matters on board the slaver. Himself accustomed to enforce the most rigid discipline, he saw a perfect bedlam, a crew of some thirty people, composed of the vilest of the vile, who must have been shipped only with an eye to numbers, and no regard for character or stability. Added to this, the captain, though a man of some experience as a seaman, had no control of the crew, and was quite at a loss how to manage them. Twice was Charles Bramble obligated to interfere between the crew and the captain before they were three days at sea, and by his stern, calm will, he succeeded in preventing open mutiny by the crew. The fact was, the most desperate part of the foremost hands knew very well that the money sent out to purchase slaves was still on board in good golden doubloons, and they were secretly scheming to take the schooner, kill the officers, and appropriate the gold. Charles Bramble was accustomed to deal with such spirits. He was well armed at all hours, and prepared for the very trouble which was to come. Inasmuch he had anticipated it. There were two mates and the captain beside himself, who might be relied upon to stand by the vessel and the owner's rights, but they had fearful odds against them. There was also a lad who had gone out in the Sea Witch as a cabin boy, whom Charles Bramble was now bringing back with him to his family in Cuba the boy having escaped the massacre which occurred when the sea-witch was burned, and who had been living at Leonardo's factory. On him also he felt he could rely. The boy soon discovered that mutiny was hatching, and told the captain secretly that it would occur at the moment land was announced from the masthead on making the islands of the West Indies. This was all the information necessary for Charles Bramble to whom the captain of the schooner gave up all control, to prepare for the emergency. He completely armed the four parties on whom he could rely, and bade them to wait for orders from him. But when he gave those orders to act instantly and without pausing for further consideration, the crew were somewhat puzzled to see their chief officer give up even the sailing of the vessel to him who would come on board as a passenger, but they could not also perceive that he who acted as the captain now was a very different man to deal with, and one who knew his business. They saw that the schooner was made to sail better than ever before, that the crew were kept in their places and busy, an important thing at sea, and though they were still resolved to make the attempt, they did not like the appearance of matters. Scarcely had the lookout, after a short passage, descried the first land, and hailed the deck with, Land ho! when a change was instantly observed among the crew. Captain Bramble, however, was on the watch, and so were his backers, and seeing this, he instantly called one of the ringleaders aft, and bade him sternly to lay his hand to a rope and pull it taut. The man instinctively obeyed at first, subdued by the calm, stern front of the man who addressed him, but in a moment he ceased and turned toward the officer flatly declining duty, at the same time beckoning the hands forward to come to the quarter-deck. Captain Bramble paused one second of time and repeated his order. It was not obeyed, and in the next instant the man lay a corpse with a bullet through his brains at the feet of the officer. This prompt punishment for a moment checked the action of the rest, but it was only a moment when they moved aft in a body. 
"'Hold where you are!' shouted the young but determined commander. "'The man who advances another step dies!' All paused, save two of the most daring of the rascals who continued to press on. Captain Ratlin now bade the mates to shoot the first man who came aft unbidden while he marched a few paces forward, and once more bid them stand. They heeded him not, and the foremost one fell with a bullet through his heart. Captain Ratlin instantly drew a fresh weapon from his bosom and presented it at the other foremost man. "'Fall back! Fall back, you imps of darkness! Fall back, I say, or you die!' The crew had not counted on this summary treatment. They were beaten and mastered. The culprit addressed sneaked back among the crew, trembling with fear. Captain Ratlin returned to the quarter-deck, received fresh arms from one of the mates, and then calmly began to issue orders for the sailing of the vessel, as though nothing had occurred to interfere with the business routine of the day. Those orders were promptly obeyed. The master spirit there had asserted its control, and established it, too and a more orderly crew never moored a slave-ship on the south side of Cuba than were soon busily engaged in that duty after the set of sun on the day when this bold attempt at mutiny had occurred. This little affair, which had come very near to costing Charles Bramble his life, was in one sense a fortunate one, since it put him on the best of terms with the owners, who had entrusted him with the sea-witch, and who now pressed a gratuity of two thousand dollars upon him for his part in the present voyage and forwarded him safely without expense on his return voyage to England. This additional amount of funds he, to his already handsome sum of personal property gave him ten, some ten thousand dollars of ready money, which he took with him to his homestead at Bramble Park. The money enabled him not only to clear the estate of all encumbrances, but also to make his mother, now aged and bedridden, comfortable. But he was soon married, and with Helen Huntington whose estates joined those of Bramble Park, he obtained a large fortune. But best of all, he took to his arms a sweet, intelligent, and loving wife. She with whom he had played in childhood amid these very scenes, and she whom he had rescued upon the waters of the ocean. She who had loved and reformed him. End of chapter 18 The Sea Witch by Maturin Murray Ballou Recording by Elliot Miller Oswego, Illinois, March 2009.